Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, let's go right back to the phones. You guys are probably tired of listening to me ramble. And joining us from Tightline Outdoors, a gentleman who's a very accomplished angler, a guide. He also is a a very frequent fill-in host on this show, and that's Will Dykstra. Good morning, Will. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing well. we got a couple things we want to talk about. you got an ice addiction tournament coming up, and then, you know, with these changing conditions, it might be a good time for a lot of guys to uh, start thinking about getting ready for spring and occupy their time. But let's start with the ice addiction tournament. That's next weekend, I believe, up at Grand Lake? Yep, so we're coming up here this this coming weekend, uh, February 22nd, up there at Grand Lake. And, again, it has been... I know that I know that Nate's had these guys on. I actually had them on uh, earlier in the year as well. But the, the the Barnet Rock Fence that is our headlining sponsor for the event that is kind of the face of that ten thousand dollar first place prize. It has been a ton of fun this season. Uh, every event handing out ten thousand bucks cash to a lot of anglers that are that are I would say. You know, they're probably some are pretty accomplished anglers, but you know, for the most part, not too serious of fishermen. So it's been a lot of fun to see what this series has kind of morphed into, and and uh, getting a chance to see somebody walk away with ten thousand dollars cash for catching a fish that is uh, under three pounds is just uh, it's a lot of fun. No, it's really, uh, really just been great. You know, going to your contest, you have so many other giveaways and so many prizes, so a lot of people end up getting something but when you know that at any moment you could catch the fish that ends up being the biggest and leave with ten thousand dollars that adds i mean down to the last minute of the tournament that can happen because it's not a tag fish or anything it's just the biggest fish right yeah you know and that's something that that we've kind of been proud of with what we've done terry is the fact that we've made this a all species it doesn't have to be anything crazy out of this world to win it's just got to be the heaviest you know, and uh, we probably, uh, I would say it's not our first choice of fish to win 10000 bucks cash, but but the fact that we had a, a 2.8-pound sucker that uh, will probably eventually turn into lake trout bait, uh, win 10000 bucks cash just shows you that it's, A, it's everybody's got a chance at doing it, and B, um, it doesn't take jumping through hoops or anything crazy to try to qualify for that. You know, everybody says, well, what's the catch, you know, a 10,000 bucks for the heaviest fish. There's, it's gotta be something else. And, you know, the reality is, is it's not, we're just really excited about being out there on the ice. Um, you know, Terry, something I know you're, you uh, spend a lot of time on and spend a lot of time talking about is the, is getting kids in the outdoors and getting families in the outdoors. And this past tournament, the one at Chatfield Reservoir, uh, we had a very young girl catch a 11 or 12 inch crappie that ended up placing in the top 30. We had um, a couple other younger kids catch some smaller rainbows and, and, and some perch that ended up placing. So it's it's been a lot of fun to also see the the kids aspect of this and see them be, basically be on the same playing field as some of these adults and not only um, you know catch some fish but but do really well. Now, is there still time to get into the one up at Grand Lake, or if not, can you come up as a spectator? What's the status there? You know, so so at Grand Lake, we're really fortunate enough. The town up there has been absolutely uh, a, a pleasure to work with, and we don't have a whole lot of limitations as far as uh, 
the amount of people that register for the event, which, which means that we can, you know, keep registration open until Friday. And uh, if for whatever reason you, you can't get your ticket online, you can walk up Saturday morning and uh, purchase a ticket there as well. So the ticket price changes when you, when you purchase the walk-up ticket, it's, it's $55 instead of 45, but yeah, our registration will be open all the way till Friday. And uh, you know, it's an opportunity again, it, not just a chance to win 10,000 bucks cash, but to get out, meet some other ice fishermen in the unique format that we have that I know we've talked about a bunch, you know, without shelters and uh, pre-drilling the holes, everybody's on a grid system. It gives you an opportunity as an angler, whether you're a new angler or an old angler, to see just how other people fish. Not not in the sense that you'd want to copy what they're doing, but in the sense that, you know, you might get to learn a few things that you can take um, with you when you leave and uh, and catch more fish doing that too. You're absolutely right. What species or type of fish are you anticipating at Grand Lake? You know, typically at Grand Lake, it, it's a it's actually I believe it's Colorado's deepest natural lake. And uh, that this lake in particular has a, an abundance of, of lake trout or Mackinac. And uh, there's also a bunch of rainbows and also um, a handful of browns that we expect to get caught. So typically at this event, it's a lake trout that wins. But every once in a while, I, I believe two years ago, we had a rainbow that placed in the, in the top five. So there's opportunity of catching a big rainbow or a big brown as well. And, you know, everybody assumes, well, in this style of tournament, if you want to catch the biggest fish, it's go big or go home. Well, I'll be honest with you. Look, check out what the forage might be in, in Grand Lake, and that'll probably give you a really good idea how to target these fish. These fish are keying in on smaller baits. So just a little uh, uh, nugget there for all you guys who are planning on fishing it. You know, don't overlook downsizing, especially in, a, in an event like this. Um, and that could be what, what pays off big time. Real quick, because uh, I want to get to some other things. How are the conditions up there? You know, the conditions are great. We've got great ice conditions. There's been a fair bit of snow up there, and we're actually working on a plan right now to, to uh, mitigate um, the slush that's out there and make it as pleasurable of an event as possible. But, um, you know, this week we, we have snow coming in on Monday, and then we have a pretty good, uh, pretty clear forecast for the rest of the week. So I would say that, that the weather conditions are going to be good. Again, we've got great ice conditions from an ice safety standpoint, and uh, definitely uh, should be a great or great conditions for for this kind of an event. That sounds awesome. Now, well, we got a few minutes left, and we're going to talk about some more of this stuff with Austin Parr and uh, Ronnie Castiglione too. And we've got a lot. It's been it, 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 the conditions may be great at Grand Lake, but across Colorado um, on the Front Range, it's been open water one day, ice another. Then you don't know if the ice is right. safe. And then a lot of the mountain lakes have been tough to even drive or get to, much less move around with slush and heavy snow out on the ice. So it's maybe a good time to start thinking about spring. You think so? <laughs> yeah, you know, Terry, you make a great point, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk to you about today. You know, me being a, fi- a fishing guide for a living, and and we got so much going on that I have a tendency, once our lakes, you know, ice up, I kind of – don't think or do much with my open water tackle um, because we're spending so much time out on the ice. And obviously with the ice addiction tournament that we're running, you know, we're spending a lot of time not focusing on our open water side of things. And I'll tell you what, every year it seems like I, I find myself staying up three, four or five nights in a row out in, the, out in my shop organizing tackle because I didn't uh, organize it over the course of the winter. And this is the time of year. I basically say, Around that Valentine's Day is kind of my my uh, 
cutoff where, you know, we could have ice off on these lakes and, and have boats on the water in two and a half weeks, potentially, you know, with it being our crazy weather that we have here in Colorado, it's uh, always good to be prepared. I know, I know there's been a lot of years where we've been on Chatfield Reservoir on March 1st. So, which tells me right now that I have got to have my stuff ready. So I just wanted to, you know, throw out a couple ideas of some things that I do. You know, if, if I, I'm, like I said, I'm out here in my shop this morning and I'm looking at, I've got about 80 tackle trays open right now. And I've got a bunch of pegboards set up and what I like to do, Terry, and everybody does it differently. And, and, you know, I'm really busy in the fall. Um, once spinny starts closing down and typically my tackle trays can be a total wreck. So what I do is I set up a bunch of pegboard with categories and I'm going to empty all my boxes slide all the baits on the pegboard pegs that um, are good, that don't need hook replacement, that don't need, you know, split rings being replaced on them. And those baits will go up on, on one section, and then the baits that need some work will go up on another. And basically this will allow me to know what my inventory is, so what I need to have for this upcoming season, and also allow me to keep these baits uh, that need some work, you know, whether it's uh, hook replacement, split ring replacement, stuff like that, trimming some fishing line off. Um, all this stuff you don't want to be doing while the fish are biting. So that's kind of my strategy, if you will, with, with, uh, with my lures, my hard baits. And obviously with the soft baits, I do something similar, um, laying everything out and just getting everything organized. But I'll tell you what, if you guys do this now, this time of year, it'll save you a big headache. And also, you know, when we start doing this whole night walleye thing coming up, a lot of these jerk baits that we use end up out of stock in the first, you know, first two, three weeks of, of March. So I suggest finding out what you need now, getting it before it gets busy. Otherwise, you could be uh, back-ordered or <laughs> hunting baits down in Terry. And I know for me, I hate having to try to hunt lures down. Well, I want to make one comment, too. You talked about split rings. And there's a funny, right. there's a funny um, commercial on TV about it. And you'll, you'll appreciate this because you're a you're Tightline's uh, senior predator guide. So you go after right. a lot of big pike and... The guy has a uh, huge pike on the line, and it's the caption is, this is no time to wonder if you've got a good split ring. <laughs> right. Exactly. That's exactly right. Because, man, I'll tell you what, we've had <clears throat> over the course of the years, you know, every once in a while you have some terminal tackle fail, and that's another big part, a big aspect to go through. You know, guys will look at their baits and think they're fine, but, you know, after a season of fishing with some husky jerks or some rogues or really any kind of jerk bait that has split rings on it, you know, a lot of times you don't realize they get beat up and they take a lot of torque from these fish day in and day out. And, and all it takes is one kind of crazy twist while you've got a fish hooked up and that, that treble hook can pop right off and you've lost, you know, potentially the fish of a lifetime. I, I got a question I want to ask you. Um, back when I was tournament fishing and writing for a lot of major magazines, um, we used to spend the the day before going out sharpening hooks. Now a lot of the hooks now are chemical sharpened. They've gotten so much better. Um, as a because I don't I don't even film TV anymore. So when I'm fishing now, it's for fun. And if I lose a fish as much as I don't like it, um, I get sometimes a little lazy. Do you find yourself still sharpening a lot of hooks, or are you doing less of that with the, what's available today? You know, there it, it kind of depends on what bait it is, and I'll be honest with you, it's funny you say that I'm actually looking at my hook file right now that's sitting um, at, the, at the console of my boat, and uh, it's something that I have out and ready because, you know, especially with our fish, and, and I'll be honest with you, my background being a, a diehard musky, a musky fisherman, diehard predator angler, 
you know, if those hooks aren't sticky, there's a lot of times that those fish will grab baits. They've got such heavy jaw power that they'll grab a bait and they won't actually get hooked and they'll swim around with it. We've talked about this a lot before at seminars. They'll swim around with that bait in their mouth. And if you don't have your hooks sharp to where just, you know, I call them sticky. If your hooks aren't sticky, a lot of times you're setting yourself up to fail or setting yourself up to be disappointed. So, so to answer your question, I guess, with a long winded answer is, uh, yeah, I absolutely still sharpen hooks. You know, even um, a lot of these, these hooks, like you said, that are chemically sharpened, that, you know, basically you, they're so hard that it's really difficult to try to sharpen them. Well, I'll be honest with you, I still kind of scrape them up a little bit with a hook file just to add a little bit of an edge to it if for whatever reason they dole up. You know, I do a lot of fishing against the rocks, especially in the springtime, and, and uh, banging these jerk baits off of rocks and crankbaits off of rocks. They're going to dole up whether it's a chemically sharpened hook or not. You know, so for me personally, I always have that hook file. And, and before I'm handing a customer a, a rod with a lure on it, I, ch- I check those hooks and I'll just run the file over them real quick. And it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Honestly, it's just, you know, they sell a, a really, really good hook file um, at Bass Pro Shops. They sell a really good, you know, I mean, honestly, you can just go to a local hardware store and grab any kind of file. Any, I mean, even the one that's on your Leatherman is good enough just to kind of put an edge on that hook so that, like I said, so it's sticky. I always tell people, I want these fish, if they breathe on that bait, to get hooked. Well, a couple of things, and we're going to run out of time, and I want to get, but I want to get this in. One of the things that I th- people don't understand how to sharpen hooks, and a lot of times they think they have to file like six different angles. 90% of the time, if you run your file over the top or the outside edge of the hook towards the point, you can put. I think you can put enough sharpness on it to do that, and that's how I usually do it. And I always test them on my fingernail. If they won't stick to my fingernail, I said I'm lazy, but I have a f- hook file with me all the time. I touch them up. You know, and you're, you're right on there. And they're actually, you know, like you said, all, it doesn't take much, but to sharpen a hook, and we should maybe try to do a video on this sometime, is you're just running it on that outside bend of the hook, basically to the point, kind of giving it an edge. So that, like I said, when those fish touch that bait, they stick to it. You know, there's actually a, a real quick, I'll plug one of our sponsors, um, work sharp knife sharpener makes what's called the field, the field guide sharpener. And it actually has a hook sharpener that's on it. And it's basically a grooved uh, ceramic hook sharpener that you can just run any size treble hook, jig, anything right down that a couple times. And it's going to be sharp and sticky and ready to go. So there's a lot of tools out there, but yeah, if you're sharpening that hook, just worry about going from the tip of the hook to about the bend whether it's a treble hook or a single hook. All right, we've got to go, but great stuff. We hope you have a great turnout, Will. We'll talk to you again very soon. All right, Terry, have a great day. You bet. That's uh, Will Will Dykstra from Tightline Outdoors. Take a quick time out, and Austin Parr is going to join us on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You know, it's hard not to get an energy boost when you hear those licks from Dire Straits. Then you just wait for that. Da da. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. As much as I would like to listen to the rest of this song. We have our good friend Austin Parr waiting for us on the phones. Good morning, Austin. Good morning, Terry. Thanks for having me. You're probably not old enough to get into the Eagles and Dire Straits like I do. Maybe the Eagles a little bit for sure. 
<laughs> anyway, you're too busy. All you you're too busy to listen anyway. You're fishing, you're hunting, you're oh, raising man. a little daughter, you're managing a tackle store, you're guiding. I mean, so when would you have time anyway? <laughs> man, it uh certainly can be busy and we'll be moving into the busy time coming up here soon, but I'm definitely looking forward to uh some really good fishing ahead. There's a bunch of things I want to talk to you about, and we're going to spend some time, maybe a couple segments. But number one, it's going to be really nice today and even nicer tomorrow before we get some weather on Monday. I, You know I just got back from Florida, and everybody says I'm rubbing it in. By the way, I tried to ice fish down there. The only ice I could find was in my drink. But but where do I go right now? I, You know, when I left, I thought I'd be open water fishing when I got back, and a lot of things froze up, but are are they froze up enough? What are you hearing if I want to get out today or tomorrow and do some fishing? So to start off with on the front range, Chatfield is still holding a, a pretty decent cap of ice south of approximately the Eagle Cove area. Now, the, the area north of Eagle Cove did lock down a couple nights ago, but I would use extreme caution before you going out over the open water. But with that being said, south of that swim beach area, a lot of the, the ice is in that six to eight inch range, certainly with Chatfield, especially in any metro ice. You want to use some extreme caution with some of the springs that can form out there, but a spud bar is in order. Uh, but there is a little bit of slush out there as well. So if you're heading on out, definitely a, a good solid pair of waterproof boots is, is a must. But the North Boat Ramp area also is having uh, some good ice hold right now. And we're sitting on seven or so inches of ice on the North Boat Ramp area. Uh, but, but the guys that are out there and, and getting on the right drop-offs, have been having some good success on some walleye action out there. Um, but that's right in the early morning and the late evening. So if you're not if you're fishing in the middle of the day, going more for your your rainbows, maybe some panfish as well can both be productive. But certainly the uh, the walleye bite has been okay, but you got to find the right drop. you got to be in that area where, where you're dropping off into deep water and getting right on the edge, fathead minnows um, and shiners on a dead stick, fishing a, a jigging wrap or like a buckshot rattlespoon, both have been productive as well. So Chatfield's been okay. Aurora be, did get be, a little bit of ice as well. So. Before you move on from Chatfield, now I know that they were catching walleyes in open water before I left on the north side of the lake. Yep. Well, do you think it'll warm up enough for that to open up again, or is there too much ice that's just going to be unfishable for a while? tough to tell but i think we're going to probably see a little bit of ice i'm not sure if we're going to have quite enough warm temperatures to to really open it up to that degree but you know i i've been surprised before and especially areas along the rock faces where you're going to have some of that heat penetration and, and radiating up i think uh, you may have a little bit of open water over in there but uh, i think ice fishing still looking at the forecast even with some nice days today and tomorrow I think still going to go for maybe a couple more weeks out on Cap Hill. All right. And then you were saying Aurora. Yeah. So Aurora is starting to, to lock down as well. And uh, if guys that are out there and, and is really, in order to catch those perch on Aurora, you really have to move around a whole bunch right now. And if you can find that good school of fish, small jigging wraps have been effective, but then also uh, minnows have been good for those guys. Well, I bite has not been great, but uh, the trout action has also been uh, been pretty decent, actually. Uh, trout action definitely will be a little bit better than the perch, especially if you don't want to move around a lot. But with that being said, moving around, it just barely capped across that lake. So don't uh, take people being out there for granted that it's safe. So certainly go out and, and, uh, and use some extreme caution as you're moving, as with anything on the front range here. Yeah, that's my biggest fear right now is that, 
it's so much harder this time of the year to judge the ice because, you know, in the spring we talk about so many inches of ice, but that's good, clear, fresh ice. This you're going to have rotten ice. You're going to have snow covered ice. You're going to have frozen snow and getting a good read on the ice is really tough. So please folks, we know you want to get out there and I want to get out there and I probably will, but just extreme caution do carry a spud bar. That's to me the number one safety, but have ice picks. Don't go alone, have a rope, but just, you know, ice fishing can be very, very safe, but this is the most dangerous time of the year, even though it can be one of the most productive. Absolutely. And, and going along with that spud bar as well, there's multiple different ones that are sold out there. Making sure you have one heavy enough to really get a good solid hit on the ice is important as well. There's some that are out there that are less expensive that are pretty light uh, that you can't quite get as good of a gauge on. I like a, a good solid two-piece spud bar that, that's real heavy. Uh, so that definitely is, is there. You know, that's what you want to use. But but like I said, just caution, as Terry and I are mentioning, is, is certainly important right now. You know, another thing, I, I sharpen my spud bar. A lot of guys yep. use the same spud bar for years, and the end gets to be almost flat on it because they hit a rock, they hit stuff in the ice. And, boy, a couple times during the ice fishing season, I just take a file and put an edge back on it. Definitely, and and you really want that spud bar to penetrate. That's what you want. And, uh, and you know, a couple of good solid hits with a spud bar, if you can – penetrate into that three to four inches of ice range then you know how how much ice you have and if you go through with one or two hits you definitely want to back off a bit all right so where else are you seeing people heading out so up into the mountains the the action has been really productive the slush has just been not super great so granby the the, the bite has been good but if you're heading up there with the snowmobile uh, certainly a lot of slush they, whether you're on a snowmobile or on foot Green Mountain's been a little bit of the same, but by the Heaney boat ramp area, there's been quite a bit less slush than there has been anywhere else. Um, and that Heaney boat ramp area, particularly just to the inlet side of it slightly, uh, there's some good drop-offs and uh, some good cuts in there that, that were on the bank before the lake got filled. And those little drop-offs, the, the lake trout action has been really actually fantastic. And, and you're not catching a lot of huge ones, but really good numbers on, on smaller tube jigs. Uh, certainly balanced heads are really important. We've got those down here at the store as well from Bernie. Uh, but those balanced heads have been, been pretty critical uh, to, to drop down there. White and brown tubes both have been effective. Up toward the steamboat area, steamboat and stagecoach, the bite's been good. Slush on steamboat uh, has been worse than it has been on stagecoach. Uh, and then down into South Park, you're going to deal with a lot less slush. But if you're thinking about Antero or 11 Mile, the early morning bite is certainly the, the key out there. You're not going to have much pr- productive action in toward the middle of the day. So if you're going out there, a lot of times I'll fish Antero or 11 Mile early in the morning, see what I can do for a big fish, and then maybe slip back and hit Terriol on the way home. And Terriol has been having good action all throughout the day. Uh, small rat finkies and wolf finkies have been productive. Trout traps, tube jigs, and the grasshopper color has been good. And then tipping all of those with mealworms or waxworms. Uh, but the ice is pretty darn thick out there. So if you're looking for an area that's that's not, uh, you're having to, to worry about springs and stuff coming up, that Terriol area is a good spot to try. I tell you what, I'm going to put you on hold. we got to go to a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about the rivers because they may be the most consistent fishing right now. And then I also want to get a little take, because I know you started turkey hunting. I want to see how addicted you are, okay? Absolutely. All right, my friend. We'll put you on hold. We'll be back with Austin Parr after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. We are talking to uh, Austin Parr from Discount Tackle. Uh, Welcome back, Austin. Thanks for having me back, Terry. Well, I mentioned as we went to the break that we covered some ice fishing, and but 
overall, and it may sound almost counterintuitive, but maybe some of the best and most consistent fishing in the state over the last few weeks and coming up in the next few weeks will be rivers, especially tailwater rivers, because the water coming out of those reservoirs doesn't change temperature much year-round, and the fly fishermen have really understood how to go and attack that, and even conventional fishermen. What are you hearing in that, and do you agree with that? Certainly do agree with that, and and the thing about the tailwaters is the majority of them remain generally ice-free throughout the entire wintertime, and we've been seeing some really nice flows, actually, in a lot of these, especially in places like Cheeseman Canyon and Decker's. The flows have been hovering around 200 cubic feet per second, and that's a great flow for this time of year. And, and whether you're fly fishing or conventional fishing, some of these river opportunities can be a great way to go and, and make a cast rather than have to drill a hole. And you can have some great success uh, all the way throughout the entire wintertime. So what are you hearing about flies in that stretch? And then I want to talk about a couple other areas. As far as Deckers is concerned, certainly midge and, and midge larvae are going to be the, the, the main name of the game right now. Small mercury midges, black beauties, uh, bars of mergers moving into the beta submerger a little bit has been good along with RS2s. And then certainly a few egg flies here and there. You're going to start seeing some fish spawn uh, here pretty darn quickly. So an egg fly is a lead uh, with a trailing midge larva, whether it be something like a zebra midge or, or mercury midge or anything that I just mentioned, uh, you can have success. And then you, we are seeing a few BWO hatches as well. So a few of those small parachute bluing dollars in your box can certainly be effective. And then uh, fishing some emergers if the fish are rolling, so the bars emergers and the RS2s both can be really good. Now, a couple other fisheries I want to ask you about that have been really can be productive during the winter. One is getting more popular, but one gets really overlooked. Now, the first one I want to talk about is Pueblo, the Arkansas below Pueblo. But then after that, I want to kind of get into it. Enough people don't fish the South Platte right through Denver at this time of the year. Yep. So let's start with Pueblo. Yeah, so Pueblo is a great fishery. You know, there's tons and tons of fish down there and, and really has been managed great by CPW over the last decade and turned really into one of the best uh, fisheries as far as tailwaters in the state, particularly in the wintertime. Now, Pueblo is a lot warmer than you're going to find up in the mountains, obviously, and therefore the bug life can be a bit more prolific, so you will see some hatches in the afternoon down there. One thing about Pueblo is the early morning usually does not fish very well. Uh, toward the middle morning through the, you know, the, the time that the sun's going to be higher is when those fish will be most active. And you'll have some small hatches that will be coming off. But additionally, red midge larvae, like a, a bar's pure midge larvae, red zebra midges as well. And then also into some betas, both in red colors and in black, such as a juju betas or a BTS nymph from Solitude Fly Company. Both can be really effective down there. And then with the warmer water temperatures, you'll see the fish spawn a bit earlier. So all flies can be really productive down there. But it is important to note that a lot of those fish are actually naturally reproducing down there. So as your fish get up onto the reds, as with any time you're fishing spawning fish, certainly making sure to, to be mindful and not walk over to those spawning beds uh, can be really important uh, to the future of the fishery. Now the last one, and that's the South Platte right through Denver, I don't think gets nearly uh, nearly enough attention, especially this time of the year. Yeah, it's really a unique fishery. So not only does it have trout in certain places, but there's also a lot of warm water species that you can find. And you can find some of those at Pueblo, too. But the smallmouth bass and the walleyes are certainly there. But as you get up toward uh, the Chatfield area, there's been some, some really nice uh, stream revitalization through there that Trout Unlimited has done. And it certainly changed the river quite a bit. But there's good numbers of trout, not super huge trout in there that you can catch. Uh, but there's, there's good fish, whether you're conventional fishing or fly fishing. 
down through the middle of downtown. You can certainly catch some fish as well. Uh, you're not It's not really a numbers game, but you can get some nice fish down through there. Um, and then you have carp throughout the entire stretch. And although a lot of people may turn their nose on carp, uh, fly fishermen have learned over the last decade or so that the carp are, are truly a very worthy target. They're very challenging to catch. And when you do hook one, man, it is a, a certainly a, as close to a saltwater fight as you're going to really get on a fly rod this time of year, at least in Denver. But small crawfish patterns can be effective, but then also San Juan worms uh, nymphing can be really good because you can catch anything in the river on a San Juan right now. So you, know, you can catch a trout, a smallmouth, a carp, all of the whole nine yards. Uh, nymphing a San Juan and then your deep runs can certainly be really effective. As we were talking about this, we got a text from a friend of ours that said Troy's jigs work too. <laughs> yes, they certainly do work, and and ironically, he's going to be down here any minute delivering me another batch. So I wish I could turn Troy into a true commercial jig salesman and and jig maker because uh, he he can never get me enough for the demand that there really is. And we're talking about Troy, Troy Coburn, one of the most accomplished bass fishermen in Colorado by far. And then he turned his uh, he turned his bat well, he didn't turn his back on the bass, but he turned his interest to trout, and he's been tying jigs and streamers and flies, and uh, he's really been successful and makes some great stuff, doesn't he? Absolutely. And, and you know, Troy, it's really unique because it, he's the, the epitome of, of a successful Colorado angler because he does everything from fly fishing to conventional fishing, fishing for all your different species, and really is, is the proof that if you want to be a well-rounded angler in Colorado, you really need to be well-versed in all of your different realms. And certainly focusing on one species is, is good, but if you want to just catch fish throughout the year, you know, walleyes are going to be a little challenging to catch right now, but you could go out and, and smoke trout for the next couple of weeks, but then in the middle of summer during runoff, fishing back to the warm water fish uh, is going to be what you're going to want. So yeah. it's, it's something to, to think about as an angler in Colorado. If you want to be successful, being well-rounded is certainly important. Yeah, and let's not give him any more accolades. He's big-headed enough. <laughs> Actually, Troy's a dear friend to all of us. He's been involved with the industry, and we love him to death. Hey, we only got about two minutes left. I know we were going to come cover some other things, but the one thing, I, we're, over the next few weeks, we're going to cover quite a bit of turkey hunting because a season's going to be on us before we know it, and people need to be scouting. And First of all, you just, uh, you're an avid hunter and very accomplished, but turkeys are something you kind of added recently what do you think about turkey hunting give us your short version of what you think about it you know it's it's it, it's a riot i mean it's kind of a mixture between elk hunting and goose hunting lots of calling birds that are very vocal and very responsive to an individual bird um, it's certainly something that uh, is is it's challenging when you've got really good walleye fishing going on at the same time but but if, if anyone has not given turkey hunting a try it is it, it's it's really unique. It's super cool. The licenses are prolific. You can buy. There's tons of area to hunt, um, and it's not very expensive to get into. So that's uh, a bunch of different things that uh, bode well for it's, spring. It's not addicting, is it? Oh my goodness! It is a a, a, a riot to have a big tom come racing in on you, um, and and there's just so many opportunities to go do it. I mean, you could just go up into the forest, not very far from Denver. Um, right down by Deckers or whether you're going up by Boulder or, or down south a bit. There's tons of different access points that you can fit or that you can hunt, and uh, it's, it's an addictive deal. All right, so right now we got less than a minute left, but if I've decided I'm going turkey hunting this year, what's the first thing i got to start doing right now? Practicing calling I think is going to be a really important one, but the other one that I think is more important than anything is patterning your shotgun. Even an avid wing shooter, uh, you know, you think, okay, I know right where that gun's going to hit, but when you put a real tight choke in, 
you got to be very accurate. It's almost more like shooting a rifle at these birds and being an having an accurate shot to make sure you're not missing for one and not hitting the bird low for two is really important. So going and patterning your gun and knowing how those loads are patterning is really important. Well, and our friends at Colorado Clays have actually set up a patterning lane out there at their facility, and it's a non-members. You can just show up, and then you can you, you pay, but you get your turn. And they're actually keeping statistics on ammunition, shotguns, and chokes, and which ones are yep. le- giving the best patterns. And just get a hold of Jr. out there. He is doing a great job of helping people pattern those shotguns. And, and when Jr. is on next week, I'm going to start talking to him. He learned some very incredible things, not only by, by taking the same shotgun, the same choke, and the same load, but changing your position from, like, prone to standing to on sticks. Oh, yeah. And it changed the pattern completely. We got to go, but I want to talk more about it. We're going to talk a lot of turkey hunting, and we'll get you involved in that as we go. But if people want to find you for more fishing information, where do they go? I'm at Discount Fishing Tackle, 2645 South Santa Fe Drive, and we're six blocks south of Evans on Santa Fe. All right, my friend. uh, Enjoy the rest of the weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Terry. I appreciate it. Austin Parr. We'll take a quick time out. Ronnie Castiglione is going to join us. We're going to talk about traveling to fish right here on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Take it to the limit. Got to be one of the top eagle songs of all time. Man, come on. I had a rough night, and I hate the eagles. All right, all right. Let's go to the phone, and we will talk to Ronnie Castiglione. Hey, Ronnie, how you doing? Good morning, Mr. Terry Wickstrom. How you doing this morning? We're doing good, you know, and we've been talking all day, and you and I talked during the week. Is that it's tough to plan a fishing trip around here right now, but you know what? If you happen to be going somewhere else or if you want to plan a trip somewhere else, it can be pretty easy to go fishing while you're traveling, can't it? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You know, this is usually the time of year where I do like to do some traveling, uh, you know, Florida is really always on my mind in February, and the reality is, is if you if you go to a place like Florida right now, if you go to Southern Florida, it's it's straight up springtime in Southern Florida. You know, this time of year, the the largemouth are on beds, and then as you work your way into into Northern Florida, up around Jacksonville or Panhandle, it's it's still kind of a late winter sort of a deal right now, but. Uh, traveling is definitely kind of a thing to do right now if you're looking to get out and do some fishing. And, and absolutely, there's been some, some innovations over the last, you know, 10 years or so in, in a lot of things that really make traveling and fishing a, a much easier thing to accomplish. You know, one of the big ones, Terry, is, is, is rod selection, you know. Um, 10, 15 years ago, it was a little bit tougher to find, you know, travel rods. It was a little more difficult to get out there and find maybe a, a three-piece travel rod. But in recent years, there's been quite a few more companies that have, have produced some really good, high-quality three-piece travel rods. You know, Abu Garcia is a good example of that. Just this last year in their Ike line of rods, they released uh, two uh, three-piece. They're actually calling them four-piece rods, Terry. And these are travel rods. And the reason they're calling them four-piece rods is because they – they come with two different tips. So, you know, they make a spinning version. They make a, a bait casting version of these of these Ike travel rods. And, and you end up getting uh, different powered tips that can go on the end of the rod. So um, in the casting rod, for instance, you know, you can get the medium or medium heavy tip. And you can kind of just change the tip out and, and, and you know, suit 
make it you know suitable for whatever application you're looking for. The spinning rod that they're making is a little bit more of a finesse rod, so they have that kind of an, in a medium light and a medium in that. But you know, having those options, getting those three piece travel rods, uh, what that allows you to do, Terry. You know, when I go travel, I don't have to worry about checking my rods or, or making sure that I'm able to carry those rods onto the plane with me. Um, I'm able to put those three piece travel rods in the carrying case that they came with, and I'm able to put those right in my suitcase, kind of at an angle in my suitcase, and they'll fit right in there. So I don't have to worry about checking those rods, Terry. And that really makes, you know, traveling and having those rods with me a lot easier to accomplish. Yeah. And I use the Fenwick ones. Uh, I've got um, the Fenwick ones are also four piece and they're the same concept with the multiple tips. In fact, I looked up the price and for a travel rod from Fenwick with the multiple piece rods in a 30 inch tube, an HMG is 119 and an Eagle is 70 to $90. And you mentioned, you know, years ago, you didn't even like fish. No, we didn't even like fishing two-piece rods because the rods themselves would, the ferrule would kill the action of the rod. But that technology has come so far. And people who follow my Facebook, they know that I do a lot of saltwater fishing. And those multiple tips, when I'm, I was just in Florida uh, we were in the north uh, Reddington area, which is by Tampa Bay, and I was catching sea trout off the shore. I had my travel rod, which I actually carried it on the plane. It fit, was really easy, but I could have put it in a suitcase. And I had a handful of jigs and some gulp shrimp and minnows, and that's all I needed. Uh, what else do you take with when you travel? Yeah, absolutely, Terry. You know, um, the other thing to talk about, too, real quick is, you know, you talked about the, how the how the three-piece rods and the ferrules sort of made them, you know, not real sensitive and kind of made them clunky in years past. You know, really the, the, the innovation with braided line, all the super lines, has really made those rods a lot more sensitive as well because, you know, that braid as opposed to mono like we used to have in the olden days uh, really transfers a lot more vibration and a lot more sensitivity into those rods. So even though the three-piece piece rod might not be quite as sensitive as a one-piece rod, uh, you can still feel everything that's going on if you're utilizing braid. And, and definitely putting braid on your spinning reel or on your casting reel when you're traveling would be one of my tips that I would give people. And there's a few reasons for that, Terry. One is because, you know, it's a much thinner diameter and you have a, a much you know stronger strength to diameter ratio. So to, to put 20-pound braid or to put 17-pound braid on a spinning reel, you're still going to be able to cast pretty light lures a good distance, but now you've got the power and the strength to handle, you know, a good sized fish. Let's say you're going to salt water, you know, you're not going to be overpowered by a, by a redfish or by a, by a trout or something along those lines. The other real big thing that is a benefit to having the braid on your spinning reel is in the old days, Terry, we really had to, you know, if we were going to salt water, for example, you always had to really beef your equipment up. You had to, you had to go with a much larger spinning reel in the old days. And primarily that was because you needed the line capacity when you went to saltwater. You know, if you hook into a 10-pound Jack Ravel and you've only got 100 yards of line on your reel, um, that Jack's going to take that 100 yards of line in a heartbeat, Terry. So, uh, but nowadays, the ability to put, you know, three, 400 yards of braid on just a, say, a 3,000 size, you know, pin spinning reel, now you've got a whole bunch of line on your reel, Terry, so you don't have to necessarily worry about a, a big fish taking all your line on you. And then the thing that we do is when we travel, you know, we just customize the, the leader that we're putting on the braid for whatever application, you know, so that's really what we change for saltwater you know here in here in colorado we're using a lot of fluorocarbon leader maybe in that 
8 to 15 pound range. When I go to Florida, Terry, you know, that's when I beef that up. I go ahead and I go anywhere from that 20 pound fluorocarbon, sometimes all the way as heavy as 60 pound fluorocarbon if I'm dealing with real toothy critters. So, but that allows you to change that and customize that. Um, like I mentioned, you know, a, a good 3,000, maybe a 3,500 or maybe a 4,000 size reel at the largest is just about what I'll take to, you know, go to salt water. That gives me the line capacity I need. It also gives me the, the bigger drag washers and the power that I might need. But, you know, in saying that, you can also fish freshwater with all that stuff. And, and Florida is a good example of that. I think every time I go to Florida, I end up doing both, Terry. I end up doing some salt water action, and I end up doing some freshwater action as well. So you can definitely look at the large mouth and get those on that kind of a setup and so it really allows you to just be able to adapt and kind of do whatever you want to do without having to take a whole bunch of gear with you terry all right we are out of time ronnie but i think the message we want to send is that if you're traveling for any reason take some fishing gear with you there's going to be water around and you can add some fishing to it ronnie thank you so much you and i got to get together for dinner soon yeah, let's do that, Terry. It sounds like a good plan, and we'll crack open a bottle of wine and tell fishing stories. All right. See you soon, Ronnie. Thank you. That's Ronnie Castiglione. Thank you for listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Join us every Saturday morning from 9 to 11 right here. And don't forget that uh, follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, and watch our YouTube, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We'll let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour in ESPN Sports on 104.3 The Fan. Rising up.